Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord has died for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord has risen for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord is living for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord is coming for you. Christ the Lord is coming for you. Christ the Lord is coming for you. Good morning. Good evening. No matter where you are, welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. Hey, I'm your host, Bruce Kessler. I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see in Him alone I find peace, joy, happiness. I'm blessed beyond measure, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you, friend, along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be talking about continuing our study in the book of Revelations. In Revelations chapter 3, talking about a flickering life or a flickering light. A flickering light. Well, before we get to that study, we got a few things along the way. And the first is headline news. Well, you won't believe this, friend. You just won't believe it. Skillet frontman and bassist John Cooper said he is literally speechless after several Christian musicians attended the 54th Dove Awards while dressed up in drag. You heard me right, folks. John Cooper was literally speechless after several Christian musicians attended the 54th Dove Awards dressed up in drag. Former Cademon's Call singer-songwriter Derek Webb attended the award ceremony in Nashville, Tennessee with openly queer Christian artist Simler and drag queen Flamey Grant. Cooper, who hosts a Cooper Stuff podcast, said, obviously, they were just trying to get attention. They're trying to disrupt, and they're going about it in a clever way. He added, and the truth is, they are being the aggressors in this. Cooper also shared that artists like them would never attend a Muslim music celebration to do the same because that would be a little bit too insensitive. You don't want to go in and just start stomping on somebody's religion. He contended that the Christian music industry should be aware that Webb and others act as aggressors in light of their recent actions. The Skillet 
musician also believes that the industry has set the groundwork to make people feel like they can bully us because we're wimpy and weak. Describing the issue as an absurdity since it makes Christians apologetic about what we truly believe. Can you believe that, folks? Literally speechless. Gillis John Cooper addresses musicians dressed in drag at the Dove Awards. It's supposed to be a Christian event. Woo! The world has gone crazy, folks. The world has gone absolutely mad. Well, here's a case, though, that kind of puts a damper on that. Negative, negativity. Here's a movie of faith-based film about Phil and Kay Robertson passed a box office record in recent days, and now it's headed for home video. It, the movie is called The Blind, and it became the top-grossing release in the history of the distributor Fathom events on October the 19th when it passed the chosen season three, episodes one and two, which grossed $14.6 million in 2022. The Blind has grossed $15.3 million. And it's going to be released on digital home video November the 3rd. The movie, The Blind, tells the backstory of the life of Phil and Kay Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame. The movie is set in the early days of their marriage long before the fame of Duck Dynasty. The plot shows how Phil battled alcoholism and anger before finding Christ. At one point in the movie, or in the film, they separate. However, another part of the good news about this, the film sparked a movement of God on one particular college campus. On opening weekend, 11 students accepted Christ, and 30 students chose to be baptized in an outdoor baptistry at the University of Mount Olive after watching a screening. They also worshipped until... Midnight. There you go, folks. Can you believe this? The movie, The Blind, about Phil and Kay Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame, passes The Chosen to set box office record, now heads to home video. My, oh, my, folks. Makes your head spin how much money these movies make. But... Maybe it's something to watch. Duck Dynasty. Mm-mm-mm. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, folks, this day in church history. Elizabeth Princess Palatine befriended and protected Protestants of all stripes, including Anabaptists, Mystics, and Quakers. She counted William Penn among her friends. She replied to one of Penn's letters on this day in October 1677, and it is clear from her reply that he had encouraged her to consider the condition and state of her soul. And here's 
her response to that concern. Dear friend, I am deeply touched by the interest you take in my eternal welfare, and I will seriously reflect upon every line of your advice to me and try as much as in me lies to follow your counsels. But God's grace must assist me. As you rightly say, he will only accept that which he has himself inspired. When I shall have utterly weaned myself from the world, if I yet leave undone what he before all prescribes, namely to do nothing save for his son through his son, I shall be no better than I am at this moment am. Above all, I must feel him sovereign in my heart and fulfill whatever he commands. But I am really incapable of teaching others, for I am not myself taught by the Lord. Give my best regards to George Fox, Benjamin Furley, George Keith, and my dear Gertrude. I cannot write you more, but recommend myself to your prayers and remain your sincere friend. There you go, folks. And that's this day in church history. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Good stuff, folks. Good stuff. Now we have a little bit of fun in Name That Bible Character. Here is your clue. It's a good one, folks. It's a good one. I am the king of the locust. What is my Hebrew name? There you go. Here's your clue one more time. I am the king of the locusts. What is my Hebrew name? We'll reveal the final answer to that tantalizing clue following our study segment. So stay tuned for that exciting reveal and our final segment of Name That Bible Character. Well, folks, Get you a hot cup of tea or a hot cup of coffee. I got my hot cup of coffee with me right now. We got a cold front moving through Norman, Oklahoma. We got storms and rain. It's going to be cold and chilly. Tomorrow it's going to be 32. So, man, I tell you what, change, things are changing. Seasons are passing. But I tell you what, most importantly, grab your Bibles. And let's open up God's fantastic and powerful word. What do you say? What do you say, friend? We've been studying out of the book of Revelations. We're going to continue that study. Well, it's going to be part one today in our broadcast, part one. And I entitled this particular study, A Flickering Light. A Flickering Light. Turn with me now to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3, we're going to start verses 7. Verse 7, we'll start there in a few minutes. Before we start reading that passage in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 7, I'd like to tell you a little story. I was a young boy, between 8 and 9 years old, and I loved to go to my Uncle Carl's farm, and uh, he had a young boy he was keeping at the time named David McDaniels. And uh, 
we just loved, had just a great time playing and horsing around and enjoying ourselves. And we did all kinds of crazy stuff on the farm with the cows, sneaking up on them and grabbing their tails and being thrown all over. And of course, you had to watch out for the cow patties, but <laughs> but we, we just had so much fun. But I wanted to go one afternoon after school and uh, got on the school bus with David and went to the house, had just the best time of my life. And late that evening, Daddy called, was talking to my Uncle Carl. And uh, he had been looking for me all over. I didn't tell him where I was. I didn't tell any of my aunt and uncles where I was. I just decided to just go and have fun and thought it would be all right. He was so angry with me, he told me I needed to walk home right now at that moment. And I was like, Dad, it's dark and it's the full moon. You walk home. You got there and now you can walk back. That was several miles back to Rinkin, Georgia from my Uncle Carl's farm. And man, I tell you what, walking down that dusty, eerie road at night, full moon in the background, I conjured up all kinds of evil goblins and demons, werewolves, and Frankensteins, and who knows what else I was dreaming of. And all I had for a defense was just a measly stick. Well, I thought that was the the best thing in the whole wide world to have, but it was frightening, and man, the whole ordeal was just overwhelming, and I just started to cry as I was walking down that dusty road at night. Well, in the distance appeared a flickering light, piercing the darkness. Somehow I knew it was my dad. Somehow I knew as that light penetrated, gave me hope. It was powerful, a reminder that I was important and valued. In the, in the study we're going to have the next couple of broadcasts, we have the church at Philadelphia. And I was thinking about this. I kind of paralleled that story long ago. Must the, they must have felt something similarly as the darkness surrounded them and that little church family at Philadelphia. A flickering light in the midst of just oppressive darkness. They needed to be strengthened, folks. They needed to know the promises of Christ. They needed to be secured in the knowledge that Jesus was their king, that they were secure, and that they were his. So let's start in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. Let's begin there, friend, okay? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, you're right. These things says he who is holy and who he who is true. He who has the key of David. 
He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. When you first read that, it may seem a little confusing, but it's an impressive opening statement by Jesus to the church at Philadelphia. These two phrases that he calls himself, he says, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true. These are messianic titles, powerful statements, recalling, recalling who is in charge, recalling who it is that they needed to be reminded of. Mark chapter 1 recalls some of this. In Mark chapter 1, let's read it together, friend. Powerful words indeed. We're calling the titles of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1, verse 24. Mark chapter 1, verse 24. These are demons, if you remember. They went into Capernaum and... Uh, and let's just start there, there in verse 23 of Mark chapter 1. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. Why have we, what have we to you to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. This is a powerful statement by a demon. You address Jesus and says, I know who you are. And quite frankly, we live our lives sometimes as if we don't know who Jesus is. I know who you are, said this demon, the Holy One of God. The demon recognized that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And here and back in Revelations chapter 3, he is referring to himself as that Holy One, the One who is holy, the One who is true. John chapter 6 recalls this statement by the Peter and the disciples. Notice this powerful statement in John chapter 6 in verse 68. But Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that was destined to come. You are the one that the scriptures were spoken return to. You are the one that Isaiah prophesied that would come. The Messiah. The government was upon his shoulders. The kingdom would come from him. So it's powerful to be reminded the church family in Philadelphia needed to be reminded that Jesus is the one that they needed to put their faith and trust in. He alone is holy. He alone is true. Notice we also read the fact that he has the key of David. What does that mean? What is that addressing and what is that talking about? Well, this recalls an image way back in Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22 in verse 22. 
the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. So verse 22 reminds us that this is an image that Revelation chapter 3 is borrowing from. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. What is that really addressing? Well, this represents authority. That's what this is addressing. It represents authority over his kingdom. His complete power. There's no one like him. If he opens doors, they will stay open. If he closes doors, they will stay closed. In fact, this is underlining the very basic principle of the authority of Jesus Christ. That he has power over salvation and judgment. It is an important truth for this church family to get a grip on. Why? Well, in context in verse 7, notice what Christ continues to say in verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. He says, you have a little strength. You are a small congregation. In this wicked city that you live in, it may seem this oppressive darkness may seem overwhelming but you need to know what I'm teaching you about the key of David. You need to know who has the real authority. Who is really in charge here. So in context with verse 7, use of this word key and opening doors, Christ says, I have opened the door of my kingdom that no one can shut. Praise the Lord. He's referencing the salvation and participation they enjoyed in the kingdom of Christ Jesus. You know, it's not like Jesus had not taught about these powerful subjects before. Go back with me to John. John chapter 10. And let's recall another teaching that he had. In verse 7 of John chapter 10, verse 7. And Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Powerful teaching. Jesus says, I am that door. And when I open the door, no one can close it. When I close the door, no one can open it. That's his authority. That's his power. He's making a statement that these church family here in Philadelphia needed to hear. Another teaching that we recall back in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, 
Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? So this concept of this door it's talking about salvation and participation in the kingdom and we're talking about the authority and who who is in charge that's good news and it was delivered here to a small rather flickering light in a world of darkness and they needed to know then we need to know we need to hear they needed to hear the implications of what he was teaching them that Christ is saying this your salvation your participation is not in vain you are saved. You are in the kingdom. You cannot be lost because of what is happening to you. Notice in verse 9, as we continue to read in Revelation chapter 3, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before you, and to know that I have loved you. He's used that phrase, if you recall back in our study a couple of uh, broadcasts ago, he used that statement, the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. He used that image before in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, talking about the church of Smyrna. But here he says, you've been rejected, you've been persecuted, you've been cast out. The devil is trying to cause you to be tripped up. And Jesus is reminding them, I am in charge. You are positionally in me. You are secure. You will not be taken out of the grip of my palm and my hand, Jesus is saying. None of your suffering, nothing people can do to you, even if you are a small group, a small light in a world of darkness. None of what you're going through, none of your persecution, none of your suffering means that your position or your salvation has changed. It does not mean that you're no longer in the kingdom. Though the doors may have been closed by the world, the door of Christ, the door of his kingdom, remains powerfully open. Amen. You are saved regardless of what may happen to you. What a powerful reminder. And I want to end this particular study today with Romans chapter 8. So let's turn there as we draw to a close this particular part of our study, part 1. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Powerful words to be reminded of. Jesus was reminding the church in Philadelphia of their powerful statement 
of faith and remaining and standing firm in Christ and what that looked like. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8 begins by saying, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? He also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? It is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was that beautiful note, that letter Jesus was writing and penning by saying, I know your works, in verse 8, I have set before you an open door, no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Amen, folks. Amen. And glory, hallelujah. I pray that you stand fast and hold on no matter the outcome, no matter what is going on, no matter persecution or suffering. Jesus' point is to say, I'm in charge. I have authority. And I want you to know that I love you. And you'll never be snatched from my hands. That's our study for this broadcast. And now we have the conclusion to name that Bible character. Here is your clue. Here is your clue. I am the king of the locusts. What is my Hebrew name? Well, the Hebrew name is Abaddon. Revelations 9, 7, and 11. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared for battle and on their heads, whereas it were crowns like gold and their faces were as the faces of men. They had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates that were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings were as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails likened to scorpions, and there were stings on their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. There you go, folks. I am the king of the locusts. What is my Hebrew name? Abaddon. And name that Bible character. Well, well, folks, you too can become part of the greatest movement ever. 
Become a follower of Jesus Christ by accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Hearing his powerful words and promises. And you become obedient to those words of Christ as he compels us to be baptized for the remission of our sins so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, friend, I just want to tell you what a privilege and honor it's been for me to have you walking along my side during this show. May God bless you. Everybody ready? So, don't you want to go? Go to that land. Don't you want to go? Go to that land. Don't you want to go? Go to that land where I'm bound. Where I'm bound. Nothing but love. Love in that land. Nothing but love. Love in that land. Nothing but love in that land where I'm bound. Where I'm bound. Nothing but joy, joy in that land. Nothing but joy, joy in that land. Nothing but joy in that land. Where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Nothing but peace, peace in that land. Nothing but peace in that land. Nothing but peace in that land. Where I'm bound, where I'm bound. I've got a savior in that land. I've got a savior in that land. I've got a savior in that land. Where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Don't you wanna go? Go to that land. Don't you wanna go? Go to that land. Don't you wanna go? Go to that land. Where I'm bound. Where.